0: everyone to another installment of dose of dog presented by our friends at Embark, and so happy to be back inside of mbark for this edition we're here again there, there's dogs barking in the background they're just happy and having a good time over there and we're in the back room with heather here from mbark she's got a fun topic to talk about uh, today and again heather it's good to see you uh, in person again
1: it's good to see you in person too <laughs> my gosh who knew
0: You know, at the time of uh, recording, we're we're getting entered into the the spring months, and of course, for people, that means they can get their dogs out again, do some of those things you were talking about Mm. in previous podcasts, and that probably brings a smile to your face, seeing people out. Spring is walking season, because there's not a lot to do, and a lot of people have their dogs with them for that. Mm Mm-hmm. And a chance to do those those, those sniff walks. Sniff walks, I, I just, yes. I just love that name, sniff walk. <laughs> uh, for that, go back, listen the previous. Scott episodes. has been
1: been listening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> go back through, listen uh, to some of the previous podcasts. Great chance uh, to learn about, uh, you know, make those make those walks more than just uh, the dog goes mm-hmm. and uh, marks the territory. There's a lot more that goes into all of that, and of course, good ex- uh, good uh, excuse for you to get outside, yes. and get some exercise. Well, well, Heather. We've got people out. Some people are extroverts. Some people are introverts (laughs) as humans. Some people are very, they walk into a room and they are very chatty. And then there's other people that we would classify as shy. Mm -hmm. And you say today you want to talk about shy dogs, right? Yes,
1: yes. Well, so, and, and gosh, Scott, that's such a good point because, you know, we, I guess as a, you know, professional dog trainer. I I think a lot of people will will see other dogs and say, "Well, I want my dog to be like that dog." And maybe they have a dog that is not going to be that dog. And I think what the underlying premise, I guess I'll I'll start with today is that that your dog is not going to be your neighbor dog. Your neighbor dog is not going to be your dog. Your dog is not going to be like that you know, hound mix that you had as a kid who, you know, could just be off leash or, or, you know, <laughs> mill around the neighborhood with no issues. I mean, every dog is such an individual. And I think like, that's a good premise to kind of start off with. Cause I do want to talk about shy dogs today um, and how we can help them kind of maneuver through life a little bit more confidently. Um, however, sometimes that's just how dogs are. And that's not a character flaw. That's just their preference. <laughs> I mean, I look at my group of friends and I think, you know, some of them would enjoy, you know, large parties with a lot of people and socialization. And, and some of them would rather, you know, gather for a coffee with just the two of us and have like an hour conversation or two hour conversation. And so that doesn't make us abnormal. That just means that's our preference. And so it's the same thing with dogs. If we look at dogs, they all have a preference um, and we can't make them into something else. And unfortunately, in the dog training world, there is a lot of, of, I guess, trainers out there that say, you know, we can fix your dog. And I think, gosh, this is the genetic makeup of this dog. This is this dog's preference. Like there's not fixing. I mean, I would never say to my friends who are introverted, you know, Hey, I I really want you to enjoy going to like this large party with, you know, 300 people and like rave music bouncing. (laughs) I mean, that's just not their preference. Um, and so I think with our dogs, we have to, we have to consider that. What is their preference? Um, and so today when I talk about shy dogs, it's not necessarily that we are going to, we're not going to make them into a, a dog that, you know, enjoys, you know, daycare, for example. I mean, gosh, I own a daycare. And I would say, you know, oh gosh, 80% of the dogs out there, like it's not an environment that they would enjoy um, you know, it's 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 kind of like the friend group that you have. You have to look and say, what is their preference and what do they enjoy? Um, how is it for them if they're in this environment? So today, I thought in talking about shy dogs um, and shy, we'll we'll kind of operationalize that because I think that's a label as well. Um, how can we just help them kind of maneuver through the world so that they're more confident um, and help them understand that maybe things aren't scary? Um, so let's start by, I think if we start by defining what I mean by shy, because that's kind of a label. And I really try hard to not label dogs with those kinds of things, because I think once we throw a label on a dog, like stubborn or, or, um, shy or obstinate, I think that doesn't allow us to be objective when we try to work with them. Cause we've already labeled them, you know, it's like you know, humans in our life, when we have said, like, this person is stubborn, then we just kind of, there's things that we give up and there's ways that we treat them. So I think by meaning, by saying shy, I mean dogs that might have like a little bit of fear issues towards certain conditions. So it might be people, it might be going to new environments. And so, so when I say that, what I mean is we, we often if we, we think a dog is shy, why do we think that? Well, well, we can observe behaviors that they're doing that make us understand that they're uncomfortable. So, you know, dogs that, that we would label as shy would look like they would be avoiding people. They might be um, avoiding environments. They might be, you know, when you go for a walk, avoiding like approaching anything that looks different. Um, they might be, um, you know, scared of other dogs and, and dogs that are scared of other dogs. They often do what we call distancing behaviors, like barky lungy stuff. And we often label that, you know, as the dog being, you know, this dog, this dog is dominant or this dog is being something and and what we do have to do is we have to look at those as behaviors and say okay well this is an observable behavior that we can change because you know if you label something as stubborn how are you going to collect data to know when they're not stubborn (laughs) so it's a very unscientific way to look at it so you know, if we look at, at the behave the body language that the dog is giving, that's something that's as observable that we know when it has changed. And so when we look at behavior issues, that's kind of my go-to, like, let's look at the behaviors that are observable that we know. How do we know we've been successful in helping this dog through this, this moment or condition or, or space? We don't see those recognizable body language cues. So, so like I said, when I mean shy, that's kind of what I mean, just dogs that might be avoiding things. And I think all of us know what that looks like um, when the dog is doing these behaviors, and so I think today we'll talk a little bit about body language and what that kind of looks like. So, so again, labeling. I, I, Dr. Susan Friedman, who's one of my amazing mentors and a gift to the animal training world. <laughs> she's kind of got a whole. She's an applied animal behaviorist, um, or I'm sorry, um, uh, uh, applied behavior analysis. And uh, teaches like a lot of ABA courses and she has this big kind of campaign about not labeling because I think when we do that we either use certain training methods and we don't look at the dog objectively and look at you know how are they feeling and and what can we change and how are we gonna how are we gonna measure if we're actually changing behavior so um, so again, not labeling is just a, a good way to kind of look objectively at behavior. So how do we help them? my gosh so, you know kind of you know a, a three to four prong approach kind of depending on on the dog so let's say you know you have a dog that is fearful of people or other dogs or environments and you know we have a lot of dogs coming in from rescue organizations that have had a really a really like sad beginning they were born in a barn and you know they were there for eight weeks and and you know, someone finally came upon this mother and her puppies. Gosh, those dogs just genetically didn't have, or I'm sorry, genetic, well, depending on where they came from, sometimes genetically their information is, is not a dog that has been, you know, living in a family. I mean, if they came, if they were stray born into a stray environment, um, we kind of have genetics that are working against us too, that maybe they don't have those, um, you know, they're not like the golden retriever that was, you know, bred in someone's kitchen that lived with families, you know, generations past. So, so we kind of have that working against us, um, sometimes too. So I think the first piece that my go-to is, is always to just build their confidence. And, you know, when I look at behavior, I don't look at just the behavior. Like if we're addressing anxiety in a dog, we're not just addressing the anxiety, like, um, we're not just going to look at, you know, can we work with a veterinarian to find a medication that's going to help this dog not be anxious. It's such a holistic approach. I mean, we're not looking at it and from one angle. We're coming at it from a very holistic approach. We're supporting the dog. We're supporting the dog's environment. Um, we're teaching the handler how to observe things. Um, we're putting procedures in place to help that dog build confidence. Um, so our first kind of prong, I guess, would see would be building confidence. And gosh, God, it's just like what you talked about in the beginning. I am such a huge fan. Well, all of us here <laughs> are such a huge fan of sniff walks. Um, you know, it's such an easy piece that you don't need... You know training skills to do and so what that allows us to do is if you have a dog that is shy um you know can you take them to a a new place that has no triggers the thing and the trigger would be a thing that they'd be worried about and just allow them to be a dog now that being said there are some dogs that that even taking them to a new environment would be super stressful to them um and so those dogs, that's not probably appropriate for those dogs, but we, we don't have to go outside. We can bring smells to them. So let's say you brought in a rescue dog who is terrified of the environment around them. Um, they, they potentially could be more comfortable in your house. Those dogs, can we bring smells to them? So, you know, rather than taking them out into the environment where they're not ready for that, and I I really don't, if your dog is worried about an environment, I do not advocate taking them into an environment because, you know, in in behavior, there's something called flooding, where if the dog is really scared of something, that's essentially placing them in front of something that they're terrified and, and hoping that, um that that trigger will just kind of settle in and they won't be worried about it but what you get when you flood a dog that would be like if you were scared of spiders or snakes um which i don't i love spiders and snakes so i shouldn't use that as an example (laughs) um um, i think they're both fascinating but a lot of people have a fear of spiders and snakes that would be like okay scott so you're terrified of snakes i'm going to drop you in the snake pit and just hope that you acclimate to this trigger and that you're okay with it um and gosh, the research tells us that when you flood an animal, a, a, a person, an animal, you get what's called learned helplessness, where they just kind of freeze. And unfortunately, there are people that do this. And you get a dog that has the absence of any behavior. And that's terrifying. I mean, that's not a normal creature that does, doesn't offer some kind of a behavior, whether it is, you know, they're scared, they're whatever that might look like. Um, so I don't advocate for that because flooding is not a way that you help dogs with behavior issues Um, I recall uh, uh, you know I'm not a fan of the dog whisper as most people know (laughs) Um, nor am I a fan of canine intervention the new show that's on those are not none of that is any science-based dog training that is is along the gold standards of any veterinary behavior recommendations um, but I recall an incident where there was a dog that was terrified of a slippery floor. Gosh, this was years and years and years ago. Um, it was a Great Dane. And they walked into a school. and He literally drug him across that really shiny, slippery floor. And the observation that he made was, well, now the dog isn't scared. It's just standing in the middle of the floor. That dog was utterly flooded. I mean, that is an environment that... that now the dog is terrified. He's in the middle of this floor. He can't move. <laughs> um, and that's learned helplessness. Like that dog didn't wasn't offering any behaviors. Um, and that doesn't help anyone build confidence. It's like throwing Scott into the snake pit. <laughs> I mean, that's just not helping anyone. So if your dog is worried about an environment, I don't advocate, you know, if they're scared about leaving your house, bring the smells to them. You know, if you have a neighbor that has cats, can you bring a blanket in? Can you bring... If you have a neighbor that has, you know, a gerbil, can you bring a towel and the gerbil has sat on? Can you take, you know, a scoop of dirt from outside and bring it in and make like a little sniffari in your house um, or in your yard, perhaps? I mean, that's an easy way to do something that is is kind of fun for the dog. So sniff walks. And so whether that means taking your dog to a brand new place where there aren't triggers and allowing them just to smell and be a dog. Um, And again, we know, again, the research shows us that, that um, when dogs are allowed to use their nose like that, like a dog was meant to, you know, it's, it's firing a different part of their brain than, than that fear part of their brain. So again, that just kind of lays into that whole cycle of I'm in a new place. I'm, I'm doing something cerebral. I'm focusing, I'm not focusing on the triggers. So it's kind of just a cyclic effect to kind of help boost the dog's confidence. So Sniff walks are are one. Um, And again, it doesn't have to be a walk out in a brand new place um, that if the dog is worried, it can just be in your backyard. Um, The zoo animals, they often will bring like different food scents and and different things like that just to kind of enrich their world. So um, sniff walks or sniffing anything really nose work is a great way to teach confidence. You know, there's a whole... Um, movement out there on nose work that's just uh, teaching the dog to find stuff with their nose Um, kind of like I almost compare it to civilian drug work (laughs) like you know the dog we're teaching the dog to find something that's not illegal Um, usually in the states we use birch anise and clove to teach nose work but you could really teach them to find anything Um, and then teaching them anything my gosh like you know we always think that shake, rollover, play dead, all of those things are just tricks. But gosh, you know, with if you have a dog, or if you have any dog, learning, good learning, or any learning is good learning. So whatever you teach them, it could be shake, it could be rollover, it could be get me a beer out of the fridge. Like, all learning is good learning. So whatever you teach them is still kind of just, you know, building their bookshelf of skills so they have a lot of skills to rely back upon. And we know that dogs that are confident usually have this big repertoire Of skills to kind of go back on so don't ever think that you know teaching them um you know to shake or roll over or spin or you know peek between your legs like all of those things are good so anything you teach them is good learning um so so just building confidence is helpful and again with not In an environment where there's triggers, I mean, in your living room, in your kitchen, all of those places are just good things, good places to to build confidence and teach them new things. They don't have to be in a class. There are some awesome resources out there. Emily Larum from Dogmantics has an entire YouTube channel called Kiko Pup. Um, And, oh, my gosh, I mean, video after video after video of tricks and awesome stuff and just great information that's free um, just to teach them really cool stuff. So um, teaching them anything. Um, is is gonna help build their confidence. So that's kind of the first part. The second part I would say is just the human learner. So if we live with a dog that's shy, it is I think our responsibility to understand the language that this dog is giving us. So body language is so important in the dog world. Um, you know the best dog trainers that I know are so skilled in reading exactly what the dog is thinking. So body language is so important. And, and you know, in shy dogs, what do we see in terms of body language cues that tell us that they are worried about an environment? You know, they're doing avoidance behaviors. So they don't want to approach something. They are turning their body away from that thing. They are being approached by a trigger. And, and when I say trigger, I mean something that they'd be worried about. So it could be, you know, a man with a hat and a beard, another dog, a cat, a child, um they're turning away they are after the trigger approaches them they do a full body shake off where they're like whoa that was kind of stressful um um a lick lip lick (laughs) i can never say that word a lip lick um like and you see this a lot in in photography where a child is maybe approaching a dog a child is hugging a dog and you see the dog licking their lips and looking away very subtly and that is such a huge cue that that dog is uncomfortable um So I think being a really astute observer of their body language is so crucial because if we can read that, we can set our dogs up for success. So if we become really good students of body language, we can observe what our dogs are doing and then make sure that we're not putting them in situations where they're just going to, they're going to be worried about, they're going to um, escalate, you know, if they're fearful, like a lot of those body language cues, if we don't read them, the dog's just going to escalate. Um, into trying to back off the trigger um so those subtle body language cues um uh gosh there's so many of them i i we need to do a podcast uh, podcast on body language because there's so many of them it's hard in a podcast to to see them but i think i'd be able to describe kind of body language cues that that would be concerning um Gosh, there's something called a urogenital checkout where where they maybe you're asking them to do something or approach something and all of a sudden they smell themselves kind of obsessively. Um, That's really common. Um, You know, a redirected sniffing or scratching. All of a sudden, you know, the dog has worn the same collar for, you know, six months now and now they're kind of obsessively scratching at their neck in in a stressful situation and in all body language cues we have to take under we have to take into consideration the conditions in which that dog is in because um you know obviously they're gonna lick their lips after they got a treat obviously they're gonna shake after they had a bath (laughs) and so we always have to look at the conditions in which these behaviors are occurring i mean if a small child is approaching a dog and they're licking their lips and then they do a shake off that is a very true indicator that that dog is stressed so I think it's our job to observe them and just to observe those body language cues and then be able to say, okay, now we just need to move this dog away from this environment. Um, And and just keep some data in your head of that was stressful to the dog or that was not stressful. And, And along with those body language cues of concern, also reading them when they are happy and, and again that's a label but they're happy or they're willing to approach the thing um, so all those are just so important for us to understand and we as humans we can read each other really well but we're often just not good at reading our dogs and there are so many body language cues that dogs give that we would have no idea that that would mean that that dog is stressed out and so I think if you have a dog it is your responsibility to learn body language and I know I've we've we've um put up the body language course from bravo dog from renee erdman at bravo dog a couple times um as a link just because i think it's so important and there's some other great um resources out there too on body language so i think you know as a pet owner it's important to understand those things um i i recently got a cat well we have a farm cat that was feral and he's now like our real cat (laughs) um and just uh, gosh, you guys, I didn't I didn't know anything about cats. Um, in body language, it's been, you know, I've probably been seeking out information because I don't know how to read him because <laughs> I've never had a cat because um, I'm very allergic to them. So um, for me, that was kind of a good learning um, scenario because I had to kind of learn, how do you take care of them and what does their body language mean and what does it do when they do those little love bites? Like that was kind of concerning the first time he did that. So um, I think it's our, our role to have her learn body language cues. And then the other, the other part to that with body language is, is really observing when your dog is curious. So when they're interested in something, pay attention. Like maybe they love, you know um, they're really good at smelling out where mice have gone in a field. Okay. If we know they enjoy that, can we build that into their life? Maybe um, your dog is your dog, the dog that has to sit you know, on the top of like a little hill or a little knoll and kind of observe everything. Um, And just really being attentive to those kinds of things, because all of our dogs are so different. I mean, it's like any other creature, you know, are we, um, is your dog a dog that likes to just get right into an environment or do they have to sit back and kind of observe? And I have, you know, both of my dogs are so different. One is an observer, you know, he has to kind of observe from a distance. Um, The other one is like a, Like we're going in, like, I'm just going to figure out what it is. And so I think being really observant as to what their preferences is, preferences are. And I think the sniff walks really help you do that. Like, yes, they're smelling, but it helps you observe, you know, what cues they're getting from their environment. So I think us just being curious about, um, or, 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 or us observing when our dogs are curious about things is helpful um, especially for shy dogs could to find the things that bring them pleasure and that, that they they enjoy really. And then the last piece to it, and this is the piece that that we do in um, in behavior consults and and some of our like behavior plans would involve classic counter conditioning and desensitization and that's just kind of a procedure in which we are taking, A trigger that a a dog is worried about, and we are associatively pairing something really good with it. And in behavior, we call it a conditioned emotional response. So we're looking for this positive CER around triggers that will make our dog go, Oh gosh, you know, when I see a man with a hat and a beard, it predicts something really good happens over here or something really good happens from him. Um, And so that. That's kind of a, a finely honed procedure that, dependent upon the dog, I will recommend, you know, where the reinforcer comes from, how far they're going to be from the trigger, or like where is that dog's sub-threshold, and all of these kind of factors that will play into creating a plan for that dog. Um, and then desensitization. So desensitization is this kind of exposure to the trigger at a distance um, and slowly creating this conditioned emotional response with classic con- counter conditioning. Um, to, to create a new response to that trigger. So the dog isn't worried about it. Um, we do this a lot with kids and dogs. We do this a lot with strangers and dogs. We do this a lot with, oh my gosh, with, um, dogs that have reactive behaviors on their leashes. Um, and so that's kind of the last part. And that's more of a, a very individual plan. I guess I would say, you know, we, I would need to observe the dog and, and kind of read what it's, you know, in, when in the environment it starts to get worried. So, and classic counter conditioning is essentially, you know, we all know classic conditioning, like Pavlovian, ring the bell, get the food. And so we're kind of countering that. So now the dog doesn't like, um, or is, I shouldn't say that, doesn't like, is worried or shows behaviors that would tell us they're worried about children. And so with that dog we're kind of creating a new response to that child. So right now maybe they're stressed out and they're showing us behaviors that they're stressed and so by adding something good in, we want the dog to go, "Oh my gosh, like every time I see children, chicken rains from the sky. This is like the best thing ever." And that's a slow process. Um you know, depending on again the dog's genetics, I mean, we're we're up against a lot of things. The dog's genetics, their their previous history, um, in that environment, their learning history. I mean all of those things kind of play into this plan that we would create for a dog. So um, those are kind of the factors. And then the fourth one um, that the fourth one would be like um, things that, from the veterinary medical world or physical supports. So just making sure that dog is healthy. I mean that is always my first go to. Has your dog recently set, seen a veterinarian for you know a complete blood can't, blood count? um, maybe some chemistry panels to just make sure they're healthy, you know, orthopedically, are they healthy? Are they having pain? I mean, that is always kind of my very first go-to in looking at behavior issues. Um, but then there's some things on that end that you can use to support the dog. You know, adaptil is a great product. It's a memory chain pheromone that we use a lot for dogs that are kind of worried. Um, you know, thunder shirts sometimes are good depending on the dog. So there's a lot of periphery things that we can use, um, for dogs sometimes that are, that are helpful. Um, you know, the one thing that I did want to mention today was we often see, like, let's say, for example, Scott, my dog was worried about you. You know, the, the old advice that's often given is, well, let's just have Scott feed that, feed my dog, you know, chicken after chicken, after chicken, after chicken, hoping that my dog likes him. And that (sighs) sounds like great advice. However, if my dog is scared of you. You offering chicken is not going to make it better because my dog does not want to approach you. And if you hold chicken out, like maybe over time we might get that. But what we're doing is we're kind of flooding that dog because it's forced to come into your space, which is a whole lot of pressure for a dog that's scared of a trigger. Um, You know, it's kind of like if you had, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I mean, if, if I said you know, if, if Scott offered my dog chicken and my dog was terrified of Scott, cause you're so terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be like me saying, Hey, here's a hundred dollars as I'm holding a knife in the other hand. Like you can have the money, but you got to come and get it. Well, you you are only coming to me because you want the money. You're not coming to me because you want to. <laughs> and so so by feeding the dog directly from the trigger, that is not the way that we really, that we change behavior. And so there's a lot of factors that kind of play into that. Um, I want to see how close the dog will come to the trigger and, and and add something valuable to them in away from the trigger. So um, You know, Scott would let my dog approach if she was worried and then you would throw food behind her Um, because we don't want that dog to have to approach the trigger to get the chicken because that is uh, forcing them to go near that trigger. And so we don't want to flood them, essentially. And they're and they're not really learning anything. They're coming near something that might be fearful and that they don't want to. And consent is so important in helping dogs kind of get over this shyness. We want them to do it because they're a willing participant, not because they're being coerced to come and get the chicken. And what you'll see is the dog will grab it and then it'll move away really fast. And so so they're already kind of approaching that threshold that we don't want them to go over. So that is just an important piece too. I know that's an, an old kind of piece of advice that that circles around just have you know so and so feed them chicken and and depending on the dog's reaction sometimes that might work but dogs that are very shy that are worried about triggers i that is not my go-to because i like to do it a lot more methodical and slower than that so that's kind of a a big piece um to remember and it's it's well-intentioned i think but but again our, our 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 rule or our you know, the guideline that we want to use is how is the dog feeling right now? Like we always want them to be participating in this process. So they're willing to kind of, um, you know, they're willing to, to offer a behavior, um, to help them kind of get over the, the shy issues. So I think, gosh, so if you have a dog that's shy, I think the biggest thing you can do that takes not a lot of effort is teaching them tricks, um, taking them on sniff walks um, in new places, observing their body language, becoming a really astute student with canine body language, and then implementing like a classic counter conditioning and desensitization protocol. Um, and along with that, I do a lot of other things with that. I know for any of you out there that are behaviorists or do behavior work, um, I use a lot of like differential reinforcers of other behaviors, sometimes some DRI, some DRA. So um, there's a lot more to that plan than just the... The, that little piece of it that would be more of a, a big behavior plan, I guess, that we would kind of create for your dog along with these other things. Um, so those are kind of the pieces I would say for shy dogs to take them. And, and you know, people, my, my behavior caseload, they get really good at finding places to take their dog that they can let them smell. You know, they're constantly kind of driving through the area and finding little fields or like, you know, the side of a creek or Um, environments that they can just like have them smell. And sometimes you guys, if you can't walk them, have them sit in the car. You know, my puppy classes, we have a high V store going in next to us. And I said, oh my gosh, go sit in the car. um, Let the dogs smell the environment um, where they're doing all of this construction. They're going to hear it. They're going to smell it. Observe them to make sure they're not worried. Um, Just kind of sit with them and let them kind of watch. And a lot of the puppy people have come and like parked over there and let them watch. Or, you know um out in a rural setting like a a field full of angus cattle or holsteins you know sit and just let them observe like that's just so important for dogs to allow them to do that and i think we don't you know we live in this world where like we have to walk them and we have two miles and we have to go to work um and and granted we all have those days but if you can find opportunities to allow them to do that that's going to be really just beneficial for for a dog that's shy or worried so so those are kind of my my big my big pieces i guess for shy dogs well,
0: outstanding, uh, Heather. I know when we uh, before we started, you were like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get 25, 30 <laughs> minutes. Uh, but uh, trust me, uh, you're at no short shortage of words and, and, and very good content for everybody. Uh, don't forget, Embark is all over online, social media, their website. Mm. Uh, reach out to Heather and their group here. They'd be more than happy to talk to you about uh, your dog. If for nothing
1: else, they'd love to meet your dog. because I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I may have been a little late for a podcast because there was a puppy, in, a Bedlington Terrier puppy in my lobby, and I was like, oh, <gasps> lost my mind a little bit.
0: So at the, at the very <laughs> least, they want an excuse to meet your dog. Uh, that yeah. is for sure. Heather, thank you very much.
1: You're welcome, Scott. Thank you.